Dagor Bragolach. About 455 years after Fingolfin came to Middle-earth, Morgoth deemed that the time was ripe to destroy the elves and their allies. One cold winter night, when the elven watch was least vigilant, Morgoth sent forth terrible rivers of fire and lava from Thangorodrim and poisonous fumes from the Iron Mountains. The elves were completely unprepared for such an assault, and a great many Noldor perished on the Ardgallen as the fires consumed it and transformed it into a lifeless wasteland, forever after known as the Unfoglith. In the wake of these fires there came Glaurung, now fully grown, the Balrogs, and armies of orcs and other monsters in numbers such as the elves had never conceived of. Thus began the Dagor Bragolak. The siege of Angband was swiftly broken, and the forces of the elves were scattered. So swift and overwhelming was Morgoth's assault that the various elven kingdoms were unable to marshal their forces in any sort of unified front, and as such Morgoth was able to engage the elven forces in a piecemeal fashion, greatly blunting the effectiveness of any resistance. With the exception of Maedros and his fortress upon the hill of Himring, the sons of Fionor and Finarfin were overthrown and utterly defeated. Fingolfin and Fingon only just barely managed to defend Hithlam from Morgoth's onslaught, as the mountains surrounding it provided an effective barrier against Morgoth's fires. The elves were completely driven from the forests of Dorthonion, and many of the Sindar forsook the war altogether and went to Doriath. When news came to Fingolfin of the totality of the disasters that had befallen the elven forces, a great despair came upon him. Believing the Noldor to have been defeated beyond any hope of recovery, he rode forth alone from Hithlam to the gates of Angband in a wrath so potent that he was said to have resembled Orom himself. When he arrived, he smote upon the doors of Morgoth's fortress, challenging the Dark Lord to come forth to single combat. Though Morgoth did not wish to, Fingolfin's challenge was heard by all in Angband, and was given in such an insulting manner that to ignore it would have been to lose face before his captains. Morgoth issued forth in black armor from Angband to confront Fingolfin. Wielding the terrible hammer Grond, Morgoth repeatedly attempted to smite the elven king, but succeeded only in carving many fiery pits in the ground from his missed strikes. Fingolfin long managed to avoid Morgoth's blows and wounded the Dark Lord seven times, but at last Fingolfin grew weary and Morgoth thrice drove him to his knees. Fingolfin arose each time to continue the fight, but eventually he fell backwards into one of the many pits formed by Morgoth's missed attacks. Morgoth then set his foot upon Fingolfin's neck and killed him, but not before Fingolfin, with his last stroke, hewed Morgoth's foot with his sword. Then Morgoth broke the elf's body and prepared to feed it to his wolves. But Thorandor, the king of the eagles, swooped down upon Morgoth, marring his face with his talons, and rescued the body of the elf king. Fingolfin's last stroke gave Morgoth a permanent limp, and the pain of his seven wounds could not be healed, nor were the scars ever erased. However, despite his great victory, Morgoth had made a critical mistake. So great had been his malice and his desire to destroy the elves that he had struck before his plans were fully realized, and in his hatred and contempt he had underestimated the resolve and valor of his foes. Now Morgoth found that the elves and Edain, recovering from the initial shock of his onslaught, had begun to make small gains against his outlying forces. He therefore checked his advance, and withdrew the main host of orcs to Angband. For though he knew that his victory had been relatively decisive, 
His own losses had been as numerous as the losses that had been accrued by the elves. Afterwards, Morgoth sent out many spies, and he sent messengers to men, feigning pity. When the Edain refused his false offers of peace, he summoned the Easterlings over the Blue Mountains to harass them militarily. Seven years passed before Morgoth renewed his offensive. He assailed Hithlum with great strength, but just as he was on the verge of victory, Sirdan and a host under his command came at the last moment and helped Fingon to turn the orcs back. The Quest of the Silmaril Sometime later, the elf maiden Luthien and her human lover Baron, seeking to recover a Silmaril, came disguised to Morgoth's court. Morgoth was able to see through her disguise, but she was undaunted by his eyes and offered to sing for him. As she sang, Morgoth conceived a lust and an evil more abominable than any he had yet committed, and allowed her to continue singing. But as he delighted in his thought, suddenly Shadow hid her and she sang a song of great and terrible power that cast a spell of sleep. All Morgoth's court was cast down in slumber by her song, but the Silmarils burned and became so heavy that the head of Morgoth sagged upon his chest. He fell from his throne, the iron crown rolled away from him, and Baron cut a Silmaril from it with Angrist. However, rather than leaving immediately with his prize, he tried to take another of the Silmarils. As he attempted to pry the second jewel loose, his knife snapped. One shard struck Morgoth's face, and he began to awaken. Baron and Luthien fled in terror but were not chased, as Morgoth and his court had not yet woken. However, at the gates of Angband, the werewolf Karkaroth was aware of them and bit off Baron's hand, and took with it the Silmaril. Burning from the inside at the touch of the holy jewel, Karkaroth went mad and fled in wrath from Angband, slaughtering all who stood in his path. Then Morgoth awoke, and in a rage he and his court roared up in pursuit, only to see Thorondor carrying off the raiders. Morgoth's rage at the loss of the Silmaril caused the Iron Mountains to begin erupting, terrifying all those who could see it. Ultimately, however, he was unable to recover the gem. Nirneth Arnoidiad Soon after... Morgoth became aware that Maedros was making a great league against him and driving his orcs off the northern heights of Beleriand. As such, he took counsel against them and prepared his forces for a major confrontation. When the elves eventually made it to Angband, the Battle of Nirneth Arnoidiad began. Ultimately, the battle was a complete and decisive victory for Morgoth. The power of the elves and their Edain compatriots to make war against Morgoth was utterly and permanently broken. All of the great kingdoms of the Noldor in Beleriand except Gondolin and Nargothrond were destroyed, and Hithlum was at last taken as well. The Edain who did not flee were enslaved by Easterlings, and Hurin was taken captive. The Cursing of Hurin Morgoth was also well known for the imprisonment of Hurin of the House of Hador during the Nirnaith Arnoidiad. In the last hours of the battle, Hurin and his kin defended Turgon for he was the last heir of the house of Fingolfin, after Fingon fell in the battle. Turgon narrowly escaped the clutches of the host of orcs due to the valor of Hurin, Huor, and their men. Unfortunately, all but Hurin fell after the onslaught of Morgoth's forces. After slaying untold numbers of trolls and orcs single-handedly, Hurin was captured by Gothmog and taken to Angband. Morgoth knew that Hurin had been to Gondolin and therefore knew the city's location. He sought to extract the information from him, but, despite inflicting terrible torment upon his captive, he was unsuccessful. From a distance Morgoth put the son and daughter of Hurin, Turin, and Ninor. 
Under a species of diabolic oppression, his thought followed them and gave them bad luck, though they were not possessed. By this means he drove them at last to madness and despair, though there is doubt as to whether in the extremity of his malice he cheated himself, as their madness saved them from damnation. Behold, the shadow of my thought shall lie upon them wherever they go, and my hate shall pursue them to the ends of the world. The children of Hurin. The, then continuing his curse, he said, But all whom you love my thought shall weigh as a cloud of doom, and it shall bring them down into darkness and despair. Wherever they go, evil shall arise. Wherever they speak, their words shall bring ill counsel. Whatsoever they do shall turn against them. They shall die without hope, cursing both life and death. The Children of Hurin And so Hurin stayed and was chained atop Thangorodrim, watching his homelands fall under the shadow of Morgoth, until he released him. Turin, who was valiant and powerful, nearly escaped the curse, as feared by Morgoth, but in the end did not. He and his sister Nienor perished. Thus, the curse of Morgoth on the children of Hurin was fulfilled. Fall of Gondolin It was said that Morgoth hated and feared the house of Fingolfin most among the houses of the sons of Finway especially Fingolfin's son Turgon, as it was prophesied that his doom would come from the house of Turgon. Following Turgon's escape from the Nurnath Arnoediad, Morgoth sought to find and destroy the last of the free kingdoms of the Noldor, Gondolin, where Turgon reigned, though he had been unable to force Hurin to reveal the location of the last great elven kingdom. Morgoth eventually captured Maeglin, sister-son of Turgon. Threatened with unimaginable torment, Maeglin offered the secrets of Gondolin's defenses in exchange for his own well-being. Additionally, he made a promise to kill Tuor personally, and was given permission by Morgoth to take Turgon's daughter Idril for himself. Having lusted after Idril for decades, Morgoth's offer secured Maeglin's loyalty, and he became the Dark Lord's willing servant. After learning all he could from Maeglin, Morgoth sent him back to Gondolin to aid the invasion from within when the time came. Soon after, Morgoth assailed Gondolin. With Maeglin's treacherous information, Morgoth's forces advanced upon the city nearly undetected, during a time of festival and over the mountains where the Watch was least vigilant. By the time the elves realized their peril, the city had been beleaguered by Morgoth's overwhelmingly superior forces, and quickly fell. With the sacking of Gondolin and the defeat of the Noldor and their allies, Morgoth's long-sought triumph was complete. The great kingdoms of the elves had all fallen, save for the Isle of Balar and the survivors at the mouths of Syrian, which were ruled by Erendil, and Morgoth esteemed them as nothing. He even came to care nothing for the Silmaril that had been taken from him, and laughed when he saw the last and the most cruel kinslaying when the sons of Finor destroyed the dwelling at Avernin. Ill final defeat. Persuaded by Erendil to take pity on the elves in Edain, the Valar soon decided to come to Middle-earth and confront Morgoth's tyranny. Unable to understand compassion, Morgoth did not expect that the Valar would ever aid the Noldor after their evil deeds, and did not foresee the assault from Amman. But the Valar mustered their forces, and a great, tumultuous battle occurred began between Morgoth and the host of Valinor. Morgoth emptied all of Angband, 
and his devices and engines and armies of slaves were so various and powerful that the fighting spilled across all Beleriand. In the end, Morgoth's forces were utterly defeated. The Balrogs were destroyed, save some few that fled and hid themselves in caverns at the very roots of the earth, and the orcs were slaughtered. Then Morgoth quailed and dared not come forth himself, but he had one last weapon at his command, the monstrous winged dragons. From out of the pits of Angban they issued, and so sudden and ruinous was their attack with great power and a tempest of fire, that they drove back the host of the Valar. But then Erendil came with Vingilo, accompanied by Thorondor and all the great birds, and Erendil slew Ancalagon the Black, greatest of Morgoth's dragons, and his carcass fell upon the towers of Thangorodrim, breaking them. Morgoth was utterly defeated, fled into the deepest of his mines, and sued for peace and pardon, but the Valar crippled him and cast him upon his face. He was bound with the chain on Gynor. His iron crown was beaten into a collar for his neck, and he was taken from the earth and thrust through the door of night into the timeless void. The two remaining Silmarils were recovered from him, though shortly thereafter they were again lost. Legacy and Prophesied Return Morgoth's lies sowed in the hearts of elves and men would continue to sprout in new changing ways. Sauron, once Myron, his former lieutenant, succeeded Morgoth as Arda's new, most powerful figure seeking dominion over others. After his first defeat in the Second Age, Sauron was held prisoner in Numenor, but managed to corrupt its last king, Arpharazan, and his subjects, into revering Morgoth as a deity. By the Third Age, Sauron's pride overreached himself, and he claimed to be Morgoth returned, and was held as such by his worshippers and followers. Morgoth's taint of Arda was more than symbolic as, like the One Ring with Sauron, Morgoth dispersed a great portion of his essence into Middle-earth, and like the Sauron's ring, Arda became the physical container for Morgoth's spirit will. While the Dark Lord lost a great deal of strength in fusing his essence into the world so he could increase his hold over the world, it also meant that, even banished, his malevolence would still permeate everything and corrupt the creatures of the world. There are even hints in Tolkien's writing, and notes that Morgoth could even reach out from the void and make his voice heard like a silent whisper tempting the children of Eru towards evil or at the least his essence acted like an echo, and similarly to the Sauron's ring had its own dark will that served Morgoth's ends in his stead. Dagor Dagorath According to material in some of Tolkien's writings compiled but not published by his son, in the last days Morgoth will learn how to break the door of night and re-enter the world, and initiate the Dagor Dagorath, the Battle of Battles. In this battle, Morgoth himself would be slain by Turin Turambar, Return to life or by Eonwe, as written in the hiding of Valinor. Thus the children of Hurin and all men will be avenged. However, the published Silmarillion does not include this information, and instead asserts that, if the Valar know how the end of Arda will present itself, they have not revealed it. Powers and Abilities Melkor was initially the strongest being of Arda, second only to Eru Iluvatar. In his prime, he spilled oceans and destroyed mountain ranges. While Eru had blessed the other Valar with a portion of his thoughts and insights, making each absolute in their respective specialties, Melkor was blessed with greater power and a wider breadth of knowledge. However, Melkor, while blessed with a large portion of Eru's knowledge, 
did not know all and never realized that the secret fire was a power to create that belonged solely to Eru. Though tremendously powerful, able to alter or transform the world in many ways, Melkor could only twist or corrupt what already existed, not create anything new. In his desire to take control of all Arda, he dispersed his essence and power throughout the world, to the point that Arda as a whole was corrupted, and even after his banishment, his evil would continue to plague the world by corrupting men and making the gift of immortality unbearable for the elves. The more he dispersed his power throughout Arda, the more control he had over it. Even while greatly weakened, Melkor could create massive firestorms, huge craters, and curse his foes to sorrow and death. E.g. the family of Hurin, though, the diminishing of his power was to his disadvantage in times such as his struggle with Ungoliant. Character Initially, Melkor could take on any form he chose. The Aenor took on forms reflective of their moods and might. Melkor, in his arrogance, malice, and power, took on a form recorded as a mountain that wades in the sea and has its head above the clouds and is clad with ice and crowned with smoke and fire. And the light of the eyes of Melkor was like a flame that withers with heat and pierces with a deadly cold. The Silmarillion, Ainulindale. It is said that out of all the Valar, Melkor was most like Aule for his craftsmanship. Originally the brightest, most beautiful, most powerful Ainu, he fell through jealousy, pride, and hatred of others, into darkness, with ever after a desire to conquer and to rule. When he built Utumno, he took on a form shaped roughly manlike but great in size. A dark lord, tall and terrible. This form was chained by the Valar. When he walked in Valinor, he wore a much fairer form, so noble and lofty and benevolent not even the elves, save only Feanor and Galadriel, are recorded as seeing through it to the malice underneath. This he cast off to escape unclad from the hunt of the Valar, and when he faced Ungoliant, he put back on the form of the tyrant of Utumno. In that form he remained ever after. As he spent his might and poured out his power into the very fabric of matter, as well as into all his creations, he grew more stooped and less majestic, and his hands were burned black from the touch of the Silmarils. His eyes shone with a daunting light. There is some dispute over Morgoth's size, the Silmarillion states. He stood over the king as a tower, and cast a shadow over him like a storm cloud. Quenta Silmarillion, of the ruin of Beleriand and the fall of Fingolfin. As elves typically reached about six feet tall, or close to seven feet for the Noldor, Morgoth must have stood at least twice this length, and with the shadow he robed himself in, he may well have seemed taller. In most artistic renderings, Morgoth is depicted as towering over other beings, most notably elves, Fingolfin in particular, of the F.A. Morgoth set his foot upon his neck, and the weight of it was like a fallen hill. Quenta Silmarillion, of the ruin of Beleriand and the fall of Fingolfin. Initially, Melkor's power was so great that he could contend with all the other Valar and Maiar of Arda, and beat them, ere Tulkas came. Over time, however, his power was dispersed into the fabric of Arda and into his servants, lessening his might. At the time of his visit to Fëanor at Formenos, Melkor was still referred to as the greatest being in Ea, 
though this was before his capture and final defeat by the Valar. It is unknown how much of his power he put into his various slaves after returning to Angband. He began with a desire for light, but when he could not possess it for himself alone, he turned instead to darkness. His power and knowledge, both of which were greater than all the other Valar, he perverted to manipulation and deception, and he became an absolute and consummate liar. Ever denied the lordship and worship he so coveted, he squandered his power in fashioning evil servants who would give him these things, dispersing himself, his power, and his malice into the very fabric of Arda. Despite his overwhelming might, he was also known to be remarkably cowardly, reluctant to engage in battle himself, even when victory was completely assured. Part of this was due to the fact that, alone of the Valar, he eventually became bound to a physical form which could be destroyed. He was possessed of virtually peerless cunning, and he was able to deceive and manipulate even the other Valar to the point where, after he was released from the halls of Mandos, he was above the suspicion of all save Tolkus and Ulmo, and this was primarily because they were slow to forgive his past transgressions. Many of his most terrible deeds in Arda were achieved through treachery, manipulation, misdirection, and lies, and he seduced many Meyer to his service with false promises. However, as an utterly pitiless and merciless being, acts of compassion, mercy, or pity were entirely beyond his comprehension, and he seemed to have a serial tendency to underestimate the valor and capabilities of his foes.